This week on Grape Encounters Radio. Yeah. Oh, I knew it. I could feel yeah. it. Now, when your husband does that, you look at him with a loving gesture and just are so appreciative, even though you don't want that. Of course. You, you, you don't scold him, right, for that? No, no. It's so just it's... a look on my face that gives the scowl. <laughs> the discipline is all in the eyes. Peel me a grape, crush me some ice. Skin me a peach, save the fuzz for my pillow. And it is time for your weekly grape encounter. And so happy today to be able to spend really the entire show talking about a subject that maybe is the single most important subject when it comes to the care and feeding of wine. It's something we don't talk about too much. And I'm especially pleased to talk about it today because we are welcoming a brand new sponsor to Grape Encounters Radio. I could not be more pleased because it's very exciting when I get to talk about products that I think vastly improve the wine enjoyment experience. And we are welcoming King's Bottle, which is one of the great manufacturers and distributors of outstanding wine refrigeration and beverage coolers. And I have in the studio with me today, the VP of Sales and Marketing Worldwide. It's Dina Doran. And Dina, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be in the studio with you today. And I always feel awkward when I'm talking with a sponsor because I never want somebody to go, oh, wait a second. He's just saying that because they're a sponsor to the show. No, they're a sponsor to the show because I love the product and because it's important and we're very particular about who we endorse. And I only endorse like a handful of people. Well, and you have quite a reputation in the industry, so I know that you've vetted your product line well. Well, I love the product line. I have sitting in our Grape Encounters Emporium, an amazing unit, which is for both beverages like beer and sodas, but then also wine, sparkling wine, champagne, and wow, amazing. And why I think it's so important to own one of these units is because most people, I think, feel that they either have to build a wine cellar or just consume their wine quickly so they don't have it laying around. And we're talking about a time of year right now where all around the country, we've got this heat dome going on. And I guarantee you that billions of dollars worth of wine is going south. Yeah, heat is definitely an enemy of wine and wine storage. So you definitely want to have somewhere to put it during these hot summers. Does your business peak at times like this when we have outrageously high heat? We do see an increase, yeah. So around 2000, 2001, I built a wine cellar and it was an awesome wine cellar. And I also used the wine cellar as a place to play poker. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And I would invite the poker players over and I'd say, bring a jacket because we're going to play poker in the wine cellar. And we did. But I remember the extraordinary amount of money that I paid to insulate that room and do all of the things that were necessary to keep it cool. And then the very specialized refrigeration that was necessary for a wine cellar. And, you know, when people ask me about building wine cellars, I generally steer them away from it, you know, because that's really for the people who have a lot of disposable income. And if you want to build one, that's great. And I think you should, if that's something that you want to have in your home. But for the person who is not going to fork out that kind of dough, I mean, what are their options? 
Well, and even too, as you pointed out, you build it in a place. So it's for somebody who also wants to take it with them. There's the option of an actual freestanding refrigerator and they can be built in. But even if you just want to have it freestanding, then uh, wine refrigerators offer you that flexibility. So they can keep your collection safe as the temperatures rise and even at ideal drinking temperatures so that it's ready to pour at any time. And to be fair, a number of people are making decent wine refrigeration systems out there, right? Absolutely. It is a very competitive market. And I will say honestly that you can go to a number of different retailers and you can find decent wine refrigeration units. So I'm never one to disparage the competition. I happen to like your units a lot. And I just think that they're very well thought out. It was easy for me to say, yeah, this is a product that I can endorse because it's just got some features about it that are just terrific in my mind. But uh, let's start at the very beginning because I don't want to necessarily make this all about wine refrigerators. I want to make it about the care and feeding of your wine. Absolutely. I don't know how many times I have walked into a store that sells a lot of wine. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've had this experience. You walk in and it's 80 degrees in there. You know, it's a hot day and people are going in and out the door and their air conditioning unit isn't cutting it. If that goes on for more than a day or two, that wine's toast. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, even when you look at common storage places, people like to put it above the refrigerator. Oh my gosh! Above the refrigerator or above the stove even. Uh Mm -hmm. One of the first shows I ever did on Grape Encounters, I said, the number one no-no, do not put your wine in that closet above the refrigerator or the stove. The heat that the refrigerator generates, it's it's in an alcove and the heat is just building up and it's all going up there into that cabinet. Yeah, it's all trapped. You might as well call it a death box for wine. Yes, would you like some toasted Tempranillo, please? (laughs) Or a little charred Chardonnay? Exactly. (laughs) We'll call it Chardonnay. (laughs) No, it's funny. And and you can go into almost anybody's house and you're going to find that little situation there. Yeah, and you hope that they don't open that bottle for you. (laughs) Sometimes people will say to me, you know, I've got this bottle of wine that's been stashed away in a cabinet and it's been there for like 20 years. And, you know, would you like to taste it? Boy, it's, I paid a lot of money for it way back when I totally forgot about it. Then I just discovered it. And I say, well, what cabinet did you find it in? You know, hoping that it was some low, cool cabinet someplace. Oh, it's right here above the refrigerator. Oh, no. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You are a murderer. (laughs) It's It's terrible. I once measured the temperature in one of those cabinets in my house above my refrigerator. And it was like sort of mid-80s. Forget about it. Yeah, exactly. The wine's the only, the there's only zone. one wine that's going to be able to be stored up there, and that's going to be a Madeira. That's it. I guess some other kind of pre-oxidized wine would be okay, but that wine is really going to be toast. So when we talk about keeping wine at a cooler temperature or storing wine, it is not just a case of a cool, dark place, but temperature really matters. And let's just talk about the difference between white and red for a second, because we're told they require different temperatures. But do they? And, you know, how do you as a manufacturer of this kind of equipment differentiate between white and red? I think that the white 
does require cooler temperatures for sure in serving, obviously. Yeah. But in a storage standpoint, there's generally more sugars in the whites. And so that is going to feed that fermentation process. And if that's getting into those hotter temperatures, those activities are going to continue to the detriment of the wine. So that's, that's interesting. I, I never really thought about it that way. So you're saying that the white wine may be more fragile, actually, than the red wine when it comes to temperature. I think that that is the case. Definitely, obviously, with you tasting. When you taste it, you definitely want your, your whites to be colder. Yeah. And from a storage standpoint, I think if you're in the moderate zone, you can get away with it because it, it'll be okay. But I think that you really want to watch your fluctuations in temperatures particularly. So what would be the maximum mean temperature? And you know, and when I say this, we got to go back to one of my earlier statements. A couple of days of prolonged heat severe heat is going to cook your wine. There's no ifs, no ands, no buts about it. It's going to ruin it, probably. And there could be some exceptions. Like I've seen where somebody has a case of wine and the middle bottles didn't turn, but the outer bottles did because there's that insulation of the bottles. We're going to get into that, right? Absolutely. In a little bit. Yeah, that matters. Yeah, that matters a lot. So if you have an air conditioner and you don't turn it on during those hot days, you're really taking a big risk. And if the wine is worth risking, that's fine. But if you live in a real moderate climate, what could you get away with, do you think? I'm trying to not sell product here. No, I understand that. And I think that there's plenty of people that do store wine. And the initial concept for a seller was just a cool, dark place. And and so if you can keep your temperatures down to a stable, I would say 60 to 70 degrees is probably even the 60s, the mid 60s would be something comfortable. But you know, you're rarely going to find somewhere where you can find that in summer and be safe. Yeah, but there are places for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, there are places for sure. But I would say this, if the temperatures are sticking at sort of no higher than 75 degrees, you can probably get away with it. But as you're saying, 72, 70 degrees, 68 degrees, that's pretty safe. But it's the peaks that you got to worry about. And you know what's funny? It's kind of like the little surge protector that you use for your computer. You know, it's very rare that you have a power surge, but when you do have one, it can fry your machine. And there goes a two thousand, three thousand, four thousand dollars dollars $4,000 computer, it's the same way with wine. It takes one surge. In this case, the surge is going to be a lot longer, right? It might take two or three days, but even one day could do the trick. That's true. Yeah. And the surges can be unexpected too. So, you know, if you're out of town and you have it tucked away and you think you're safe and then the temperatures spike on you, you can't fix that. So it's best to be prepared for something where you can ensure that you're going to be able to maintain those ranges at least. By the way, if you don't yet have a a wine refrigerator, there are some things that you can do, sort of a little stopgap band-aid that I would want to share with you, but you know, it's still not the best idea. We're talking to Dina Doran. She is the VP of Sales and Marketing for King's Bottle, and have they got a cool line of wine refrigerators and beverage coolers. Just awesome. I mean, talk about craftsmanship and beautiful, and I got mine, and I am one very happy camper. I Can I tell you how much I love this thing? I go buy it, and I just kind of fondle it, because it's just that beautiful. You can see it, by the way, at the Grape Encounters Emporium in Atascadero. Just come check it out. We're going to be back with Dina in just a second and talk more about the care and feeding of your wine and whether or not temperature matters. And we'll not just talk about wine refrigeration, but just some common sense things you've got to know. You've got to get this in your head because it's going to save you a bunch of dough. When we return, the Grape Encounters Radio. A few days ago, a listener visited our wine bar, the Grape Encounters Emporium, because he wanted to see for himself if the wines from Cardella, that I brag about all the time, 
are as good as I keep telling all of you. He had driven quite a long distance to check out the Cardello wines, so we were delighted to let him sample them all. When he was most of the way through the tasting, I asked him if I had oversold these wines in any way. He smiled and replied, absolutely not. I can't recall any winery blowing my mind with virtually every wine they make. But after watching literally hundreds of faces light up after the first sip, I can tell you without any reservation that I believe Cardella is poised to be the next great American cult winery. Extraordinary whites, incomparable reds, insanely great values. I love Cardella's wines, and you will too. Learn how to get yours online at GrapeEncounters.com. For years, I've been dying to get a truly exceptional wine refrigerator to keep my liquid assets safe from the scorching summer heat that can turn awesome wine into teardrops. Heat is the number one enemy of fine wine, and collectors will tell you that a wine cellar is absolutely essential. Well, that's just not true. For a tiny fraction of the cost to build even a modest cellar in a converted closet, you can own a wine refrigeration unit so exceptional and so beautiful that you'll want to show it off to absolutely everyone. My unit is truly the best there is. It's from King's Bottle, the experts in wine preservation and cooling. King's Bottle has wine refrigerators for every need. They're gorgeous to look at and priced lower than you would ever imagine. Want to see why I'm so excited? Click the King's Bottle link at GrapeEncounters.com. King's Bottle wine refrigerators are so cool. See them at GrapeEncounters.com. And now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues, broadcasting from our wine cellar studio in idyllic Atascadero, centrally located in the Central Coast wine country of San Luis Obispo County, California. Right and wrong and happy and sad, black and white and good and bad, we have biz with a very stubborn mule. Let me lose my mind and remind me to keep it cool. I could tell you horror stories. I have seen so many amazing bottles of wine go to waste. This is a great story I'm going to share with you. But first, I'm going to welcome back our guest today, Dina Doran. She's the VP of Sales and Marketing for King's Bottle. They make wine and beverage coolers and refrigerators. Fantastic product line. And we'll talk more about their products. But I, I want to more generally speak about the care and feeding of your wine because so much wine goes bad. And I can't tell you how many times I have been at a friend's house and they've pulled out some bottle that they've been saving for a special occasion. Of course, my being there is a special occasion. Right, of Dina? Of course it is. Yeah, of course, of course it yeah, is. Yeah, right. And Dina, they uncork the thing and it's like, I can smell it four feet away. That <laughs> incredible, oxidized, tainted, miserable smelling, wretched wine. Get this story. My wife had a friend whose parents used to collect some really high-end wines. And we're talking like Chateau Lafitte's and really good Napa wines that went back to the early 70s. Oh, wow. I guess even to the 60s. So my wife had this friend and the wines were her parents' wines and her parents didn't want them anymore. They stopped drinking wine and they'd been storing them for years at their house. They lived in the desert. Oh, okay? this is not going to be a pretty story. And it gave them to their daughter who doesn't drink wine and then they got passed along to us. So we have, and I'll show you, they're here, two cases of these wines that would be worth 
worth some of them thousands of dollars right now. We used a Corvin to tap into them, to taste mm-hmm. them. Yes. Couldn't find a single bottle that was drinkable, not oh, one. Oh, that's a tragedy. And it turns out it was the above the refrigerator cabinet syndrome. They did that. Doesn't oh. that? It just makes you sick, right? It does. Yes. It's a horrible waste too, because, you know, wine should be enjoyed if either drink it or if you're going to save it, save it the right way. Yeah. And you know what? And even then, don't save it too long. So from your experience, how many people buy wine refrigeration systems and use them in lieu of an actual wine cellar? The customers that we have, quite a bit of them are using them instead of having a wine cellar. And in some cases, they're not homeowners. And so they know they're going to be moving and they want to take it with yeah, them. Yeah, good point. Um, we've sold several in New York City where they're in high rise units that they're not building in. They don't have a space for something like that. But strangely enough, a small undercounter unit fits exactly where a dishwasher would go. So if you're willing to sacrifice your dishwasher, you can squeeze one into a smaller unit. So choices like that. But quite a bit of it is in substitution for having a cellar because a cellar is quite an investment, both time, energy, and space. Yeah, I would say the easiest you're going to get off on a wine cellar probably. And a a big part of this is actually the cooler that you're going to have to buy because you're not just going to go buy some simple little portable air conditioning unit because it's not just the temperature that matters, it's the humidity as well. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of factors and this thing's going to be running all the time. So I think in my cellar, the cooler was probably about three or $4,000. You know, and I had a pretty good size cellar it would hold 3,000 bottles. So it's a fairly good size room. But even still in a small room, you're still looking at a couple of thousand bucks for the refrigeration, I think. That and, seems about right. And, and when you're talking about that much money, you can buy a pretty upstanding unit that will hold quite a lot of wine. The larger units that you sell would hold how many wine bottles? Our largest unit holds 170 bottles. 170 bottles. It's actually rated at 168. And it's not unusual for people to buy two, three, and even four of those and use them just like cabinets, right? They'll put them side by side. Mm -hmm. And can you swing the doors either way? Yes, they are reversible doors. So they're made to do that. So as you expand your wine collection, you just bring in another unit. Our stainless steel line is reversible. So yes, that can be done. And and they don't require any special power. Just plug it into the regular 120 in the house. Standard household outlet. Yep. Yeah. You know, even if you don't buy a wine refrigerator per se, I can't really object to you going out and just buying an inexpensive but modern refrigerator to put wine in if that's all you can afford. It's not the best solution. I'll be honest with you. And usually it's not configured correctly. And I like to see the wine bottles laying down, not standing up. I agree. Standing up is not the best thing. But when you look at the energy consumption of a refrigerator today, and this is a funny story, I wanted to add another refrigerator for reasons that are not worth talking talking about. And my wife said, no, that eats up a lot of energy. So I went to the appliance store, right? This wasn't for wine. And I took a picture of the little yellow and black card that talks energy about guide labeling. Yeah, the energy guide label. It's like $43 a year. That's it. Yeah. Energy consumption has gone down quite a bit. How did that happen? They've made modifications in the components and things that reduces that. And there are sacrifices that get made for that. So when you hear your grandparents talk about how a fridge would last them 30 years and a modern fridge doesn't do that, that's some of it because of the alterations and the components and the way that they're manufactured. So with a professional grade wine refrigerator, we're still talking about fairly low energy consumption, right? It'll be slightly higher than a household refrigerator, but not substantially. The capacity and how much you have in it will matter because of the insulation aspect of it. So this is a really important point, and it's an important point in terms of wine storage in general. The more densely stored together the wine bottles are, the safer the wine is going to be. 
be. The more stable the temperature will stay in the cabinet itself. And, and is that because it takes more time and energy for a wine bottle to get to a certain cool temperature and then rise to a higher temperature? Because, I mean, liquid doesn't heat and cool as fast as air does. Correct. So the air temperature is going to fluctuate. So if you have an empty refrigerator, even in your household refrigerator, this is true. If your refrigerator is empty, it's going to run much more than if you have product in it. And it holds true for a wine refrigerator too. Conversely, if it's overfilled, you're also going to have a hard time keeping it cool. So your optimum range is somewhere between 50 and 70% full is ideally where you want refrigerators to be. Yeah. Awesome. If you run into, especially during this heat wave that we're going through right now, which is a nationwide heat wave, they're calling it a heat dome. I've never heard of heat dome before. Have you heard that term? I have not. It's brand new this year. They it's, keep making them up. But anyway, during this period of time, if you don't have a wine refrigerator, one of the best things that you could do, get your wine all together in one place. You want to put it in the coolest place that you've got, whether it's the garage or in the house, and then at a minimum, throw a bunch of blankets on top of it. You know, put stuff on top of it to insulate it. My most expensive wines, I would just put them in a regular cooler, you know, like a Coleman cooler. And you don't even have to have ice in there, but just any insulation that you can get around it to keep the bottle from heating up to, you know, 80 degrees is going to be a really safe bet. Generally speaking, the more centrally located in your home you are too, because you're going to be away from all of the natural light sources, the windows that are radiating heat, doors that are radiating heat, things like that. So anything that'll cut off the outside and sort of protect it interiorly will do that. Yeah, exactly. And if you are taking wine and you're transporting it somewhere during these hot days, and a lot of people, by the way, don't realize many wineries don't ship during hot days. I, I would imagine that very few wineries right now are shipping any wine anywhere. They're going to wait till the heat dies down because, you know, sitting in the back of a UPS truck, wine will get destroyed. It, it just will. But if you're taking wine a long distance and maybe you have to park someplace for a while, that's where, you know, wrapping it in blankets or putting it into an ice chest, a cooler like that, with or without ice, is going to probably save that wine's life. Yeah, it's important to protect it, definitely. And, you know, we have all these infomercials that tell us about how hot cars get to protect, you know, your furry friends and your children. And so yeah, maybe exa- somewhere way down on the bottom of the exactly. list, we need to add wine. We are talking wine refrigeration, the care and feeding of your wine. We've got Dina Doran here. She is the vice president of sales and marketing for King's Bottle. They've got awesome wine refrigeration systems and beverage coolers for commercial and personal use, certainly commercial grade. And you can check them out online at kingsbottle.com. It's kings with an S, bottle.com. Or if you forget that, you can just go to grapeencounters.com and we've got a link to their website. So check it out there. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters, and we'll get into the subject of cellar temperature when we return. For years, I seem to pour more wine down the drain than into my glass. I love great wine, but hate how quickly it goes bad. Now, for about the cost of a few good bottles, I pour as much as I want of whatever I want, whenever I want, with my Coravin from GrapeEncounters.com. Take a sip today, have a glass next month, and save the rest for a few years without removing the cork. Enjoy wine on your own terms with the remarkable Coravin from GrapeEncounters.com. A lot of people ask me why Manzanita Manor's incredible Portuguese dessert wine is called Two Horse. Well, the reason behind the name is as extraordinary as the wine itself. It's because the owner and winemaker at Manzanita Manor Organics actually uses two beautiful horses to pull the plow on her farmland. When you take your very first sip of the Two Horse Vineyard's irresistible dessert wine, you'll immediately experience the winemaker's unparalleled connection to the land. It's what really makes it so good. 
You can purchase this exceptional wine online as well as their purely delicious walnut oil, 100% organic heirloom walnuts, and free trade chocolate covered walnuts. To learn more about all the Manzanita Manor Organics products, visit mmorganics.com. You can order all their walnut products there and bottles of two horse, of course. Purchase and shipping subject to state and local regulations. Please see mmorganics.com for more information. Brave Encounters Radio is always on the lookout for great story ideas, even if they're completely and totally off the wall. So here's the deal. Share your story ideas with me or send a question you'd like to hear answered on the show. If I use your question or suggestion, I'll send you a special gift. I want to know what you want to know. You can contact me on the Grape Encounters Radio group page on Facebook or email david at grapeencountersradio.com. If you've got something for me, I've got something for you. And now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues. Yeah, we need to beat the heat. Ah, so what temperature should you keep your wine at? And what do you do during these horrifically hot days that are going on all across the country? Nobody is being spared from the devious heat dome of 2016 that's wreaking havoc across America. Got in the studio today somebody who knows a lot about the care and feeding of wine, especially when it comes to keeping it cool, and that is Dina Doran. She is the VP of Sales and Marketing for King's Bottle, which has a really wonderful line of beverage coolers and wine refrigerators. Love their products so much so that I have agreed to endorse the product. I have asked to endorse the product, actually. I love it so much. And I have one of their refrigerators, and it is awesome. And you can see my nose prints on it. <laughs> Did you notice well, we that? we certainly appreciate the, the endorsement. The, the hand prints and the nose print on there, because I can just peer in there, and I see the wine in there. And it's like a father standing next to the glass at the hospital nursery. You know, Following the incubator. The baby sitting there, and he's pressing his nose up, and he's looking in at his little baby. And I'm looking in at my little baby's laying down, and they look so comfortable and happy. What temperature are they at? That really depends on what you have it set to. Because I know what I got it set to. <laughs> what do you think cellar temperature is? Because a lot of people have different opinions on this. But this is really an important part of the discussion. Cellar temperature. Well, the magic numbers that gets thrown around is 55 degrees. And I think the number 55 degrees kind of comes from the temperature of wine naturally in caves, like the caves of France, I think are around 55 degrees. I believe they can get as low as about 45 degrees. But generally speaking, they're going to hang around that range. I'm always fascinated, by the way, when you go into wine caves. I mean, you could go into a wine cave in the Mojave Desert if there was one. I don't think there is one. I don't think there is either. It'd be kind of interesting if there was. But it's still going to be like around, you know, 45, 55 degrees in the cave. You get that much insulation around you, the temperature temperature stays really nice. So is it necessary then, Dina, to keep the temperatures of wine refrigeration units around that temperature? Is that what you guys shoot for usually? The temperature can be set by the consumer and obviously within the ranges that they feel comfortable with, I'll be honest. We've talked about temperatures even into the 60s that wine could be stored at. So it's a question of whether or not you want to pull out a bottle to drink it or you want to store it to keep it for preservational purposes. What exactly is you want to do with the temperature? So what is is the factory default with a company like yours? When you deliver a wine refrigeration unit, do you know what the factory default temperature is? 
It may vary by each unit that's shipped, but I would say the upper units are 45 and the lowers are 55. Okay, so now we're talking dual zones here. Correct. And if you go into a Home Depot or you know someplace like that, a lot of those less expensive wine fridges that they're selling there aren't going to be dual zone. They may sell a dual zone, but the personal wine refrigerators that hold like, I don't know, 30, 40 bottles, those typically are not. But the dual zones are for what purpose? I know, I know the answer to this, but I, I just want to—I just want to hear it from your mouth. To store both varietals, so you can have a white wine section and a red wine, and keep them at their optimum temperatures. So we're keeping the white wine nice and crisp because cellar temperature isn't cold enough for white wine. Having said that, there are some happy mediums because with any wine, too hot is a bad thing. Too okay. cold, too cold, I would say, is generally not a bad thing, but you can overdo it as well. Absolutely, you fair don't enough. Want it to, you don't want it to freeze for sure. Well, yeah, and I have. <laughs> I wonder how many people have frozen a bottle of wine in their life. No, the question is, how many bottles of wine have you frozen in your life? Trying to flash chill it. Yeah, it's like you put it in the freezer and then you pull something else out to sort of get you by. And maybe you start drinking a little beer while you're waiting for the wine to freeze. And you discover the wine about three days later in your freezer. Mm. <laughs> That's pretty Everybody funny. Everybody has one of those stories. I uh, have busted some pretty good wine. Listen, I am not against, by the way, the flash cooling thing. It's not the best thing. It works, and, though. Yeah, you can bruise your wine for sure. But it will work. The idea is you don't want to take it down below the temperature that you're going to drink it at. That's where you get into trouble is you get it so super cold, and now you got to bring it back up. And you want it to try to be as consistent, too, so that it doesn't get cold spots. So if you're putting it in an ice bucket, you want to turn it so that you're rotating that liquid in the bottle. You know, seriously, if you really want to cool something fast and do it perfectly, and a wine refrigerator is not going to do that for you, by the way. Wine refrigerator is to keep your wine at a steady drinkable temperature. Yep. And, and that's the best thing for your wine. But if you've got a warm bottle of wine, you want to cool it down fast, the best way is an ice bucket, ice and water. Add the water and add salt. Salt. Too. I've heard salt. You too. know, because that's exactly salt. how the old fashioned ice cream makers worked as well. Rock the, salt. The, the, yeah. Rock salt will definitely work. I don't do that. I just put the ice and the water and the wine in there. It's going to chill super fast. Frankly, it's going to chill faster that way than putting it in your freezer. Agree. And if that's not fast enough, then there's a program for you, <laughs> right? May have a few steps. <laughs> Yeah. You know, don't be in such a hurry. Best thing, just make the investment in a nice system that is going to take care of your needs. And that's the best thing. And there's something for everybody. I mean, you can look at smaller units. You can look at introductory products. So there's something out there for everyone. How much is enough for most people in terms of storage? What is the size of a unit that is most appealing to the average wine enthusiast? I'd just be curious. I think the question is whether or not you want to store wine or whether you want to have wine for a given period of time. So if you know that you rotate through your stock, then your count would be based on that. Generally, though, whatever your number is, that should represent 80% or less of the storage that you want to buy. So if you keep 30 bottles, you're probably okay with a 50-bottle unit. If you keep, you know, 100, you're not going to be okay with a 100-bottle unit because you probably want to have that room for the fluctuation and the growth. Yeah, like I want to have at least, for me, five cases of wine on hand because that's going to get me through the week easily. <laughs> Uh, as long as I don't have any company over. Right. <laughs> 
No, I'm kidding. <laughs> See, that's the kind of stuff that gets me in trouble a lot. Well, you run a wine show, so you know. Well, yeah, you know, you got to try this. To, look, I just dump a lot of the stuff out. That's all. <laughs> Not. Hey, the difference between serving temperatures between red and white. This is a topic we got to get into. We got a couple of minutes. We can discuss this. One of the things that we want to do with red wine. This is so important. Is you want to keep your red wine cooler than the temperature you're actually going to drink it at cellar temperature. But we don't. Don't drink red wine at cellar temperature, but there are red wines that are consumed at cellar temperature or at colder temperatures at least. Can you help sort a little of this out for me? Well, King's Bottle makes recommendations that are in line with, you know, industry standards in terms of storage. I'm a firm believer that it's a subjective thing within reason. So take a look at the published rates for the varietal that you've chosen. And red wines in particular, go a little colder and then let them sit out before you open them for a few minutes to kind of adapt. See, that is so big. And that is something that people don't do. Honestly, you know, if somebody serves me a Cabernet or, you know, any Bordeaux really, or any Rhone for that matter, wine, and it's too cold, uh, it doesn't taste right. And that coldness has a, are so strong. And it also has a profound impact on the taste of the wine because cold locks in flavor. Simple as that. With red wines especially. You want, as the wine warms up, the wine is going to flower and it's just going to bloom for you. Which raises the question, does the same thing happen with white wine? It definitely changes. The flavors yeah. definitely change as that temperature changes. Yeah. And I think an excellent experiment for people to do is to buy their wine and pour it and drink a little and then try it at the temperatures as it slowly increases because it will change and grow as those temperatures change. That's a, that's a super good idea. I mean, a, a really great idea. One of the things that I noticed the last time I was in Europe, and I, I guess I had, it hadn't really stuck with me until this last trip, was that in a number of places, and I noticed it especially in Greece, in Turkey, I was being served red wine that was chilled. And the funny thing, I loved it. It was delicious. But now we're talking about wines that are low in alcohol. They're old world style wines. So they're, you know, they're just softer in general than what we drink here. And those really taste good chilled, and you know, as a white wine does. But I've also noticed that especially with something like a beautifully oaked Chardonnay, I will subconsciously be warming it in my hands. Right. Because it really opens up. Don't get too hung up on temperature. And I, I love your idea. Experiment with the temperature that's right for you. Well, and especially when you've found something that you enjoy, see how it changes. I'm a big chocolate person and my husband likes to put my chocolate in the fridge and that really stresses me out. And it's a similar concept. The taste changes. Why does he do, why does he do that? Because the heat and it melts and he's... So he's just trying to pr- provide out. a pu- public service of some sort. Me. Yeah, well, that's nice. But I'm like, cold chocolate is the worst. <laughs> I want it to be, you know, what would be considered an ambient temperature. I don't want it to be a pool, so I get what he's doing. But, you know, that taste, those flavors are there. And I eat dark chocolate. So especially then you really sense the less sugar and more flavor, you know. Do you like to pair your chocolate with wine? Yeah. Oh, I knew it. Uh, I could feel it. Now, when your husband does that, you look at him with a loving gesture and just are so appreciative, even though you don't want that? Of course. You you, you don't scold him, right, for that? No, no. It's just a look on my face that gives the scowl. (laughs) The discipline is all in the eyes. All right. Well, I hope we've given you the information you need to know about some good options to building an expensive wine cellar. Great wine is a terrible thing to waste. And my very special guest, Dina Doran, has a lot of very economical alternatives to endangering 
endangering either your wines or your bank account. For more information about the awesome wine storage units available through King's Bottle, visit kingsbottle.com or follow the link at grapeencounters.com. Dina, I really appreciate you taking the time to visit with us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Coming up next, from an education on wine storage to the importance of wine education in general with Sarah Schneider of Sunset Magazine when we return momentarily with Grape Encounters Radio. We like to talk about wine. Grape Encounters Radio is based in Atascadero, California for good reason. It's the heart of the Central Coast wine country and the perfect home base for endless adventures. Atascadero is friendly, affordable, and offers unparalleled access to world-class equestrian ranches, bicycle trails, hiking, breathtaking beaches, cutting-edge culinary experiences, and endless wine country adventures. Learn more about Atascadero, the gateway to good times, at visitatascadero.com. For years, I've been dying to get a truly exceptional wine refrigerator to keep my liquid assets safe from the scorching summer heat that can turn awesome wine into teardrops. Heat is the number one enemy of fine wine, and collectors will tell you that a wine cellar is absolutely essential. Well, that's just not true. For a tiny fraction of the cost to build even a modest cellar in a converted closet, you can own a wine refrigeration unit so exceptional and so beautiful that you'll want to show it off to absolutely everyone. My unit is truly the best there is. It's from King's Bottle, the experts in wine preservation and cooling. King's Bottle has wine refrigerators for every need. They're gorgeous to look at and priced lower than you would ever imagine. Want to see why I'm so excited? Click the King's Bottle link at grapeencounters.com. King's Bottle wine refrigerators are so cool. See them at grapeencounters.com. For years, I seem to pour more wine down the drain than into my glass. I love great wine, but hate how quickly it goes bad. Now, for about the cost of a few good bottles, I pour as much as I want of whatever I want, whenever I want, with my Coravin from grapeencounters.com. Take a sip today, have a glass next month, and save the rest for a few years without removing the cork. Enjoy wine on your own terms with the remarkable Coravin from GrapeEncounters.com. She's earthy, honest, and sipping each week as a service to you. From Sunset Magazine, it's Sarah Schneider, and this is Sipping with Sarah on Grape Encounters Radio. All right, we are back with Grape Encounters Radio, and sitting here in the studio with me today is Sarah Schneider. So I wanted to talk today about wine education, because there was a time when nobody had a clue what the word sommelier even meant. Or could say it. Anyway, what I was fascinated with was I read an article talking about the fact that there were 19 people who passed the recent Master of Wine final exam. That's an amazingly big number. It's a big number, but when you think about it, it's also a small number when you consider tens of millions of people are really hardcore wine enthusiasts and how few really have a solid education in wine. That's true. In fact, does this number push it over 200 in the whole world? I don't know. What's interesting is that the people who seem to really be going after this kind of certification, they're young. 
And we're talking about a profession that for ages, I mean, certainly as long as you and I've been alive, has been considered to be one of the most pretentious, stuffy professions that you can be in. And now sommeliers and wine experts, and by the way, sommelier means wine expert, just so you know, they are becoming as big a rock stars as these really amazing chefs that have been coming onto the scene now for the past couple of decades. That's true. And because the interest is getting younger, I think it's very much helping to move that needle from that pretentious older man's arena to the young interest. I mean, millennials are very interested in wine detail now. And they love doing it. And I find it very interesting that at our shop, the Grape Encounters Emporium, I made this observation just last week, and it's not an observation I had really made before. It goes like this. I have people who are sommelier candidates that come in and they know they can count on me to just pour them a wine and not tell them what it is. What's fascinating is that I would say 75 at least percent of the time, they will blurt out an answer. They'll say, I think it's this, this or whatever. And I'll just listen to them and then they'll kind of narrow it down to two or three possibilities, but then they don't go with their first possibility. (laughs) They overthink it. They overthink think it and they get it wrong. And right out of the shoot, they taste it. They go, oh, that's a whatever it is. No, wait a second. Wait a second. Let me think here. No, it couldn't be that. It's got to be this. And then they'll go through like this laundry list of things, (laughs) all of which are wrong. They had it right the first time. And that's happened so many times. I can't even tell you. They don't trust themselves. That is a lesson I learned. So I am not on either of those tracks, but I have passed the introductory level for the Master Psalm program. I mean, I would like to pat myself on the back for that, but anybody could do it. You take a weekend of classes and they tell you what they're going to test you on, and then they test you. It doesn't have a tasting component. But during the classwork over the weekend, we did a series of blind tastings. And we each had to talk about some part of the wine as we were learning this deductive tasting. Um, And the master psalms who were our instructors, the thing they said the most to the novice that we were coming to this as they were going through their thought process The instructors kept saying, don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. It was really interesting. That's an important point to remember if you're taking the exam because they really aren't trying to fool you. Right. That's a very important thing to remember. If you're taking that exam, nobody's trying to foul you up, but you've got to follow your instincts. Oh, by the way, did you notice in front of you, Sarah, what in the world a glass of wine showed up? you've poured me a glass of red wine. Let's see how much you can overthink this. (laughs) I'm guilty of a lot of overthinking. This isn't a test, but this is a little aside. We're taking a breather here while Sarah sniffs, swirls. I love the fact that you actually can swirl your glass without swirling the microphone. (laughs) It might be all down my top here, but the microphone (laughs) is clean. All right. It's radio, not TV. Oh, that is a very delicious wine, by the way. It is a lush red wine. It has a plush mouthfeel with a spiciness under that red fruit. Are we in Zinfandel territory? I think you're in Zinfandel land. Actually, yeah, not just territory. Yeah. Okay. It's ripe. Well, Zinfandel itself suggests California. And that would be correct as well. So Napa Sonoma area, Lodi. Mendocino, Temecula, Central Coast. As you name those regions, I'm thinking in terms of ripeness and alcohol levels. Yes. But I'm guessing that you might be surprising me here. Um, Sarah, don't overthink it. (laughs) I'm going to go with Lodi. You'd be wrong. You overthought it. I overthought it. Yep. Next choice. My next choice, Sierra Foothills. Wrong. Wait, you've got me. Three strikes rule? Three strikes rule. Last chance. Another sip. Any excuse to get another sip. That's the funny part. 
Mendocino. You're going to wine jail for a very long time, Sarah. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's Central Coast. Central Coast Zinfandel. It's Central Coast. And it is actually Central Coast and the winemaker. You should be familiar with this winemaker a little bit because last year I brought you a bottle of his Cryer Vintage. It's St. Hilaire. Now, I don't love his label too much, but I do love his wines. And I remember loving this last time. You had the 2012. This is the 2013, which I frankly think turned out better than the 2012. I mean, this is a really, really baby wine that's only been in the bottle for a very short period of time. This is not a shy wine. So this I, is not so, a shy so one. Here, here's my defense of my reasoning. Um, of your Riesling? My, my Riesling. Okay. I can always defend my Rieslings. I have my Rieslings. It struck me as having a fairly high alcohol level, according to the label it does. And so I was thinking of warmer places, although Paso Robles is a fairly warm place. So I was overthinking it. This wine is actually pushing alcohol-wise 16%. I think, what has he got it listed here? He's at 15.8. 15.8, yeah, pushing yeah. 16%. And the government allows you a little wiggle room where right. alcohol is concerned. So that could be over 16. It could be over 16. So it's pretty potent, although I think it disguises the alcohol pretty well. Quite well balanced. But I think yeah. a really excellent expression of what a Zinfandel should taste like. This is not a wine to fool you. you know. Okay, so going back to the idea of becoming a psalm and taking those exams, I would say this, unless you intend to work in the industry, your time might be better spent reading everything you can possibly read and subscribing to a few of the really good magazines. There's a lot of information out there. If you want to become somebody who's making a living in the wine industry, you probably will have to become a psalm if you're going to be talking up wines. But no point in doing that if it's just for your own personal satisfaction, because you could spend the same amount of time learning stuff that's really going to be valuable to you as a layperson. Right. Does that make sense? It makes sense. And I think that it's good to know that besides those two sort of top examples of wine programs for professionals, there is just a whole maze of different wine education courses and programs. But for the layperson in most urban centers, you can take a series of classes. There's a lot of rich material out there. So the end of the story is, if you don't need it, don't do it. But if you just want to do it for fun and you got a lot of time on your hands, that's great too. Why not? Ah, heck, you know what? we got our own shtick and we teach that to our listeners and readers. <laughs> what more could you want? We're good. You never know what part of the country or the world the Grape Encounters microphones will take you to. Don't miss a single experience. Your Grape Encounter isn't over. We're just taking a breather until next week's edition. <laughs> <laughs>